Um, here we go. It is Pentecost. Woohoo. Um, woo! Um, this is the time we remember when God's Spirit came. Um, Jesus had ascended into heaven and um, down came the Spirit in these tongues of fire. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. At camp, we talked about the movement of God's Spirit and we saw some really powerful testimonies of how God moved in people's um, lives. Sharon got fire hands, it was wild. Um, so many cool things happened. Um, but um, so what we'd really like is for, um, as we move into worship later on tonight, we'll encourage people to continue to pray for one another. Um, I think um, it would be great if we can kind of carry on where we left off. Um, but tonight, um, I'm going to speak from Acts 2. Um, so the Acts Church are basically the church that come out of, uh, that come out of the Spirit coming, out of, Je- um, out of Christ's ascension. And so much has changed for the Acts Church. So much has changed for these Jews who... We're right there, mate. Um, so much has changed for them. So, so if you can think about, like, we've just gone through this thing in the Anglican Church, Motion 29 or Motion 7 or Motion 30 or whatever motion it became in the end, that says that we will bless same-sex unions, um, depending on the diocese. And, uh, and that was a big thing for us. But the, the level of change that the early church went through from being good, God-fearing Jews in this kind of little book of Acts, 20-something chapters, is, like, monumental. So, first of all... The Messiah that the Jews had been waiting on to come and rescue them had come and then died and then ascended into heaven. So that's big, right? Um, That's like, that's kind of a thing. Um, And then a strange spirit has come in this place and weird things are happening. People are talking in other languages. They're praying and people are being healed. So this is big too, right? Um, And then um, these people who had a home, the temple, um, are now a homeless community of people just meeting in their houses. So, so that's a big shift. Uh, there were 4,000-year-old rules about what food you could eat and what food you couldn't. And later on in Acts, they kind of just go overnight. It's like you can eat everything now. Cool. And then there are 4,000-year-old rules which say that you need to be circumcised to follow God um, really well. And then those go as well. Um, praise God. Um, LAUGHTER And then if it's not kind of getting weird enough, then the man that God chooses to lead the early church is a guy who at the start of Acts is going around killing Christians. So this is just like, seriously, like can we get our heads around the monumental amount of change that is going on here? Um, And then finally, this religious sect, which was for the Jews is now being fragmented all across the world, and all of a sudden, it's not just for the Jews, it's for everybody. There is so much change. Like, General Synod would have an aneurysm if they had to deal with this in a session. And so the Acts Church is in uncharted waters in this really strange place, and at the start of Acts 2, we hear that they are hiding and waiting Um, And I'm just going to read the middle section of it. But they're hiding and waiting, and then something happens, and these tongues of fire come, and then um, upon their heads, and the disciples, the apostles, are filled with the Spirit, and they begin, um, this crowd begins to amass, and the Spirit comes, and somehow this crowd, even though they're from all these different regions of different languages, can hear each other as if they have the same language. Um, And it it just starts getting weirder and weirder, really. 
And then we arrive at this moment where people have seen this happening and they're like, this is so weird, these people must be drunk. And so I'm just going to pull up this, uh, the middle part of the scripture here. And what this is, is uh, full load. This is Acts 2, and it's Peter addresses the crowd. So just the part before it says, somehow we even made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken. I love that, eh? Jeez, mate. Um, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now that's a lot. Um, So I'm going to step back a little bit. But what we've got here is we've got this moment where this incredible thing has happened. People are speaking in other languages. All sorts of gifts are rolling out. There are tongues of fire moving through the air. And people say they're drunk. And Peter says, no, no, no. I'm going to explain to you what the Spirit is doing here in this moment. They're in this ordinary moment of hiding and waiting. And suddenly that space becomes sacred. The Spirit turns up. And Peter has to make sense of this move of the Spirit for the people who are seeing it. So a good idea when the Spirit moves in power is to offer an explanation, and so that's what Peter does, and he begins with the big story of the Scriptures, the big story of humanity. 
that there was a prophet named Joel who said that the stuff you're seeing right now was going to happen, that it had been coming for a while. He then brings that to the Jesus story. He says, the man you put on a cross, he was the Messiah you were waiting for. And then he offers an invitation to a new story. They say, then what shall we do? He says, repent and be baptised. So he begins with the big story. He goes to the Jesus story, what we call the gospel, and then he invites the people into a new story. And I think when the Spirit moves, part of the call of Christians is to articulate what is happening in that moment, is to frame the moment in front of us within the big story, the whole thing, to frame it within the Jesus story and then to invite people into another story. You know, an example of this, um, you see when the Spirit moved initially here that the people were just confused. They're like, what is going on? It seems like they're drunk. And yet Peter goes in, he tells the big story, tells the Jesus story, invites them into a new story, and it's at that point that that confusion turns into 3,000 people who give their hearts to the Lord that day. That he made sense of this crazy thing going on in front of them. And I liken this to, you know, when the missionaries first turned up in New Zealand, they believed that they were really killing it. Um, because people just came to faith like crazy. They're like, man, we must be really, really good. Um, I think some of them probably believe the spirit got off the boat with them, but what they didn't know is that there was this history of Maori prophets who for a long time knew that this day was coming where who Christ was would be revealed to them. And so all that happened was missionaries came off the boat and articulated a movement of the spirit and much like here, much like in, in the story of Pentecost, we see thousands of people come to faith. And I think there are these little moments we experience in our lives. You know, if you walk into an old cathedral, there's sometimes that sense of tapu or sacredness. Eh? We're like, this is a still and a powerful and a sacred place. Or sometimes you step onto the grounds of a marae and you're like, this is a powerful place. Eh? You just know there is something weightier about that place. But we follow this God who no longer dwells in temples or dwells in buildings, but there are these moments where life is just going on and the sacredness, the tapu of God just arrives. Do people, can people relate to this? Where there are these moments, you just know that there is something sacred that is happening right here and it's like I stepped into the old cathedral, but I didn't. Or it's like I stepped onto the marae, but I didn't. But some spirit, something in the atmosphere has changed here. And something different is going on. The other night, um, I, uh, some of you know, um, some of us from Cuba chapter run a handball league on a uh, Wednesday night on Cuba Street. League is actually too formal a word. Um, <laughs> it's normally about 20 people who show up and play handball from 9 to 11 on Wednesdays. And um, we've, we're, for the first two years, basically nobody showed up. It was like three or four of us. And now sometimes we'll have like 20, 25 people show up each week. And we've, we've built these friendships. And there's this one guy I often end up walking home with at the end of the night. And he's, um, he's 19. Um, and <laughs> so I'm 32. And he's really interested in my advice on women. Um, <laughs> and if he just knew anything about my track record, like, he just, like, he would just, you know, he just would not ask me. But I think what happened, right, one week, I don't know, I was telling him about how Anna and I got together. And, um, and how basically I asked her out and she said no. And then six months later I was still into her, so I asked her out and she said no. And then six months later I was still into her and I asked her out and she said no. And then six months after that... Oh, <laughs> felt like five or ten times, eh? But anyway, he heard the story 
and he's just like, what a legend. And so we were walking home the other week, and um, we were walking home the other week, and he says to me, he's like, um, he says, you know, I have this mate, and he's really into this girl, and she's just not keen. But I told him, I know this guy who hung in there for 18 months. So just hang on, mate. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. But anyway, we're, this is often how the conversation goes. And we're walking home the other week. And, um, and somehow it ends up on this topic again. And, and, and in the middle of this very funny topic, it was like one of those moments where the Cathedral of the Marae arrived. And there was a sense of God's spirit coming. And, and, and I said to him, you know, there's actually another part of that story I haven't actually told you. And he's like, oh, what's that? I said, well, actually, like at the time that I was going out with Anna, I was like really, really depressed and in a really, really low place. And, and struggled to make some of the most basic decisions in my life about my work and, and, and was feeling like um, this relationship's been going on for a long time, we need to get married, but I can't make these decisions. And I'm at church one night and, and I was just kneeling on the ground and I just whispered to God, I'm like, I can't make this decision unless you say something to me. And about five seconds later, um, Vicky Ward from um, Blueprint um, now out of our Lyle Bay Punt comes up, puts her hand on my shoulder, and look up, she says, um, God says it's time to marry Anna. <laughs> and there is this thing that happens, um, there is this thing that happens when the spirit turns up, when that sacredness, that tapu turns up, that the usual rules don't apply. And all of our normal ideas about what you can say in a friendship or what is an appropriate discussion, all of a sudden the spirit is present and we know we can push the boat out a little further than we normally could, that we can go to some territory that we maybe normally wouldn't go and we can declare God in a way we wouldn't because there's something more going on than my rational mind and your rational mind. God is doing something else and mediating between us, you know? And it's, it's this, this beautiful thing. And so this is some of what I want to talk about tonight, is that what happens is the cathedral, the, the marae, the, the tapu comes down in this moment, and people are a little confused. And Peter explains, this is the moment you are wrapped up in. This is the big story of that moment. And then here's the Christ story of that moment. And then here's how you can be involved in this thing too. The story is for you to participate in. So the first thing I want to say, I think one of our, our jobs as Christians is to be able to articulate in those moments, to have courage to go, the usual rules do not apply here, and maybe I can just push out the boat a little further than I normally would, and maybe what the Spirit is mediating between us will do something powerful. And maybe not 3,000 people, but maybe one person will come to the Lord, or maybe they will open up to the Lord. Can I get an amen? <laughs> We're getting a little bit Pentecostal here, eh? So the first up, when the spirit comes, how do we tell the big story? You know, I loved what you shared just before. I had a story from me, but I'm going to use yours instead. Um, I, I loved Elisa's story before, that there was this moment of darkness when you came out and God gave you this picture of a rainbow. And when it comes to a place of darkness again, that you are able to go back to that picture and remember God's promises to you. And remember that he's going to be good on those promises. He's going to come through on them, you know. And, and for me, I've so had the same experiences of, like, my, my little symbol is a sparrow. And there's so many of these times where, where in the darkness there has been a symbol or a thing that God has taken me on a journey with. Where you're able to, in the pain of your moment, to recenter in the big story that God is doing something much bigger than me. And so what Peter does here um, in this moment of the spirit moving 
as he relocates the story in the picture of the whole scriptures of this prophet called Joel, uh, Joel and the king called David. And so people are able to see that this year is not just an odd moment. This is actually a moment of a promise being fulfilled. They're able to see it as part of something much bigger in God's plan. And over and over again, you see this, that when the apostles are in uncharted waters in the scriptures, that they refer back to God's promises from before. So you have in Acts 10, Peter has this vision, and then it's after he's had this vision, the Holy Spirit comes on all these uncircumcised believers, which wasn't supposed to happen. He turns up in Jerusalem, and these other Christians say, what are you doing hanging out with these guys? And how does he respond? This is from Acts 11.15. He says, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So he comes to this situation where something has happened that never has happened before, and the people can't understand it. And he says, well, look back in the big story. John said this would happen, and he hinges it on that promise. This is what we see again and again throughout Acts. The Spirit comes, the people are confused, and the apostles anchor them in the bigger story that this is what was always going to happen. And we can trust that that's what God was doing. And I think this is kind of like why it's really important for us to know the scriptures. You know, as a generation, like we're pretty scripturally illiterate. Like I think most of us kind of know that. Um, but if we don't know the scriptures and we don't know the big story, then every time something unusual happens, we are confounded. And every time struggle comes, we wonder where God's goodness has gone. And every time pain comes, we think it's just about this moment. And we forget the bigger narrative that we, we, that we dwell in. So scripture is where we see God's faithfulness to humanity. And we see the biggest story he is working out. We remember that in the end, death always gives way to life. Suffering is always transformed into hope. God is always with the oppressed. And that the reign of Jesus is always coming more and more powerfully. So it's not about us being scripture nerds who know how to quote number and verse, you know? But it's actually about us knowing the big story that we're a part of. That's why you need to know the scriptures. Not so you can win Bible trivia, but so that you know what you are a part of. And when we don't know this, we don't know the story we are a part of. And we lose sight and we lose orientation and we get dislocated in our faith and think we're part of something else. And that's why you should be in a seasonal guide group. <laughs> So we start off by telling the big story. But secondly, Peter tells the Jesus story. And see, the crux of who Jesus was, the crux of his ministry, is he arrives at the synagogue at Capernaum in the beginning of his ministry, and he promises liberation and salvation. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Amen. Amen. To tell the Jesus story is to remember that on the cross, Jesus freed the prisoner, gave sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free. That his message was salvation and liberation. To tell the Jesus story is to look at the person in front of you and say, what would liberation look like for you? What liberation could Christ offer to you? So a question we might ask about, sorry, John 4. There's this um, story I love, which I share all the time. 
of the woman at the well. And Jesus arrives at the well with this woman in an area of, of the country he shouldn't have been in, in Samaria. And he sits down in the middle of the day and he starts having a conversation with this woman. And the conversation begins at her needing to draw water from a well. And then from the conversation about drawing water from a well, it moves to the fact that she's been married and divorced five times. And then from there, it moves to, are you the Messiah? And he says, yes, I am. Isn't that interesting, eh? The conversation with her moves from her basic need of water to her number of divorces to her belief. I think that's really cool how Jesus does it there. He illustrates a path of liberation. He sees for her that the most pressing present need is water. And water gives way to vulnerability, and vulnerability gives way to the eternal things. So a question we might ask of our friends is, what is their water issue? What is their basic longing and desire that Christ might offer liberation to? What is the message of salvation to depression and anxiety? Perhaps it's Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, maybe the good news that we have to offer to depression and anxiety or some of the good news we have to offer people is the fact that we don't follow a God who is just all-powerful, but we follow an all-powerful God who made himself all-vulnerable so he could encounter and understand our weakness. That's a powerful message to someone in the deep, dark depths of suffering with depression or anxiety. What is the message of salvation to someone suffering in deep shame? Perhaps it's John 8, 1 to 11, where we hear of this woman who has been caught in adultery. She's dragged naked off this man into the street and before a group of religious officials who are going to beat her to death with stones. And Jesus steps in between them and says, and says, I will not judge her, will you? And then sends them away. That is a powerful message of liberation to someone in the grip of shame that Jesus even says he will not judge to those who have cheated on their husbands. It's a powerful, powerful thing. What would it mean for the friend of yours caught in a cycle of shame to be to know that ours is a God who sends away the accusers? To tell the Jesus story is to ask where his liberation might bring healing and hope to the person before us. So we tell the big story, we tell the Jesus story, and then finally we invite people to join the unfolding story. So Peter, the people ask him, in response to the big story and the Jesus story, they say, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptised. And this stuff couldn't be clearer in the scriptures. We spent a bunch of time on it at camp, the Great Commission. We were told to ask people to repent, believe, and be baptised in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. It is banged on again and again. Repent and be baptised. Repent and be baptised. Repent and be baptised. And repentance is this, to say that the way I've been doing it doesn't stack up anymore. The way I've been doing it doesn't work. Repentance is literally to be walking one direction to 180 and turn around and walk the other way. And so in a lot of ways, our invitation to people, if we're saying repent and be baptised, we're also saying there's another way. There's another way. And I think this is such a powerful message to a society where I think so many of us are so cynical and sceptical. 
Because all the sacred vows that have been made to our generation have been broken. Those of us who believed that our parents and our families would hold together did not hold together. There was a day we believed we could read the news or watch the news and what they were telling us was true. There was a day when we could look at an advertisement and actually believe that what they were selling to us they thought would make our life better. As a generation, we have been lied to too many times. And so our invitation is there is another way. There is another way. There is another way called the kingdom of God. There is a better life than the one you've known. A kind of life built on grace, compassion, love, peace and selflessness. And that story that Connor shared earlier, it's, it's funny how that, that current of love continues to to saturate our relationships as we ask Jesus to lead us to those who don't know him. You know, at Hamble, we have, um, on Wednesday nights, we have this, this guy who we've started to hang out with more and more and who came along to the, the guys' night on Friday night here at, at Blueprint, which was awesome. And, um, and, and one night we're down at Hamble, and he turns to me while we're lining up to be led, and he says, I just have never met people this loving before in my life. That's the kind of witness we want, eh? So that people walk into a space and before we've said anything, they're like, I've never encountered a love like this before. And all we're doing is hitting a ball around and swearing at each other. (laughs) How does that happen? So we invite people to come into this kingdom, into this other way. A kingdom that we embody around dinner tables. A kingdom where we invite the homeless to come and dwell under our roofs. A kingdom that cries alongside the brokenhearted that is embodied by giving away our money recklessly to the poor, a kingdom where we set our priorities by what God calls us to and not by safety, security and comfort. But I think the important thing our generation needs to remember as we talk of this kingdom is you cannot have a kingdom without a king. And that when it comes that people will come in and they will love our hospitality, And they will love our lovingness and they will love our compassion. But in time, we sell people short if we do not eventually offer them the opportunity to bow their knee before the king. And that's a hard one for us, eh? I bet no group of people in history has ever quoted uh, the fake St. Francis quote, you know, preach the gospel if necessary, use words, as this one. Because we so don't want to use words. But we sell people out if we offer them the kingdom without a king. And some people, you know, maybe the last generation, they came to a king first and and encountered the kingdom, and that's fine. And I think we're in a generation where probably most people will encounter the kingdom and then eventually ask who is the king, and that's fine too. But when that tapu comes, when, when, when we have that sense of sacredness happen, then we must have courage to say that the rules have changed and to declare Jesus as Lord. When the rules have changed, to declare that Jesus is Lord. So two prayers I I want to invite you into tonight, but maybe before I do, I'll just invite the musicians to jump up.